Good evening. What would you guess is the most common type of mental illness nationwide in America? It's not depression, though that's a present struggle for about 1 in 12 adult Americans. Nor is it addiction, with about 1 in 10 Americans currently addicted to at least one substance. The biggest mental illness by a wide margin, affecting nearly one out of every six adults, is anxiety. And once someone has an anxiety disorder, they're much more susceptible to developing an addiction or becoming clinically depressed. And this high rate of anxiety in America continues to rise, and it's particularly worse for millennials and young adults in college. Many of those around us, our neighbors, friends, our brothers and sisters in the church, are struggling with anxiety. We all worry from time to time. Modern life constantly bombards us with a dizzying amount of choice, change, complexity and uncertainty, and the pressure weighs on our hearts. Our culture's obsession with breaking news can amplify our worries. They seek to monetize our attention and push us quick cures. When worry begins to cloud your mind, quicken your pulse, rob your joy, where do you go for comfort and for peace? Are you tempted to turn inward to your own strength, your own cleverness? Do you turn outward to causes, to people, to products? Or do you turn upwards to God? Praise be to God that his timeless word gives us a solution for our anxiety. God is the perfect designer of the human heart, provides us with the instruction we desperately need to defeat the power of fear in our lives. And the solution is just as relevant for us today as it was for the first audience millennia ago. This evening we turn to consider Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, which, if you'd like to follow along, can be found on page 982 of the Pew Bibles. I'll read beginning here in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is a litany of positive exhortations and encouragements. Let's look again at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul, ever the pragmatist, is both plain about the root of our anxiety and about the remedy to our anxiety. Let's briefly consider each of these. First, the root of our anxiety. The Greek word here in this verse for being anxious is also often translated as worried or troubled or full of care. The sense of the word is less about fear and more about preoccupation and distraction. I know that in the midst of all my toil throughout the week, that often describes my own heart, distracted. Let's look back at last month's memory verse from Matthew chapter 6. Here, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeatedly uses the same word for anxiety in his lesson. Beginning in verse 27 of chapter 6, Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what is the root of our anxiety? Jesus describes it as concern for the future and for the provision of our basic needs. But what do those voices sound like in your life, in the week that you've just had this past week? For me, it can be concerns like, can I do all this? Is this going to be all right? Is this going to hurt? Um, Is this going to succeed? Might I fail? What's going to happen? Will my family suffer? Will others be disappointed in me? The root of our anxiety is doubt. Doubt that we can handle life. And the truth is, we can't. At least not ourselves. But we often tell ourselves that such worry is legitimate. It'll help keep us safe. After all, shouldn't I strive to make sure that my family is well prepared for whatever comes our way? But there's a lurking danger, and Jesus warns that it's a threat to the flourishing of our faith. Worry makes us feel emotionally charged, raises our defenses, and primes our body for action. The danger is that we deal with anxiety by trying to control our lives. We strive to secure our comfort and eliminate life's risks. We become fixated, frustrated, and faithless. We toil to manage our circumstances and manage the people around us so that we're less scared. We become fixated because our attention is resting on our problems. And however many problems life actually has, we can always imagine more that might happen. And we have so many blessings to be concerned with keeping. Perhaps that's why anxiety is more of an epidemic in wealthy, prosperous countries like ours. When you're at the top of the heap, almost any change could threaten your position. The moths, the rust, the thieves, they scare the wealthy the most. But Jesus says grasping after control is fruitless. Perhaps our flurry of activity makes us feel a little better for the moment, but ultimately it's as useful as trying to will yourself to be taller. Just like the busy sister Martha, Jesus is in front of us and we're too distracted to notice. Worry also saps away our joy and our thankfulness. We start to question God's goodness, whether he really cares, whether he really knows what he's doing. And that can lead to faithlessness. Jesus mentions this in the parable of the sower, where he says the seeds that were cast among the thorns were choked out by the cares of this world. And the result is that the word proved unfruitful. Unfortunately, many people may not even realize this is happening. You might not seem anxious. Perhaps you're just preoccupied with work. Bit by bit, you prioritize your success, you avoid making some hard sacrifices, you focus on your comfort, you rest in your leisures, but without noticing it, you've numbed yourself from your neediness for God. You've found enough substitutes that you've quenched your spiritual thirst. Your concerns for this life have simply turned you into another busy professional content to chase after the wind. But your saltiness, your fruitfulness, Your desperation for God are extinguished. May that never be said of us. Christian, we are not in control, and we must cease striving to be God and trying to save ourselves. 
So let's consider the remedy for our anxiety. Paul says, in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. So does he really mean everything, in everything, and all of life's biggest struggles? Well, we saw this morning how Hezekiah humbled himself before the Lord when he was overwhelmed with fear and, and terror. What do you do when you're wounded, when you're broken, when you're humbled by injustice, by grief, by sin? Throughout his letter to the Philippian church, Paul mentions his terrible hardships. He's facing imprisonment, opposition, affliction, the risk of execution. But at this point, despite the persecution, Paul, instead of being angry, grieved, discouraged, or terrified, his theme is to rejoice. It's, it's encouragement, it's hope, it's exhortation. Paul says nine times in the short epistle, rejoice, to hope, to persevere, to give thanks in all our circumstances. Paul's attitude begins with an overwhelming confidence in God. His view of reality is defined not by his present circumstances, but by an abiding faith in God's purpose and his provision. And this confidence is unconditional. God's purpose and provision are just as manifest in the times of suffering as in the times of blessing. Paul says in chapter 1 that his brothers have become confident in the Lord by Paul's imprisonment. And later, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. For Paul, comfort and security come from serving God's purposes, not from ease of life. Paul says that our earthly marks of success are rubbish, are worthless by comparison. Rather, Paul is joyful to be on the front lines of God's battle, to be worthy of such a calling. His joy is knowing and seeing that the kingdom is on the march and lives are being transformed for Christ. What about you and I? Do you struggle to believe that God's always in control, even in the bad times? Do you turn to him first? My instinct is often to try and cleverly plan an escape, to prepare and maneuver my way out of hardship. But even then, I have to admit, I'm only using the talents and the resources and the opportunities that God has given me. I'm really just trusting in my allowance, but that it's an allowance I've been given from a loving father. The truth is, there's never been one time when I was delivered from trouble by my own strength, or by circumstance, or by luck. And Paul knows better. So likewise, we must reach the point where we can sincerely praise God and thank Him for the hard times too. God's sovereignty and plans for us are just as effective on those bad days as on the good. There is meaning and purpose to our suffering. God does not waste one of His children's tears. Do you believe that? If we do, if we take God at his word, then we can praise him for his good care even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. Perhaps it was easier for Paul than for us because Paul had so clearly oriented his entire life around God's plans and was walking in them. Jesus said we must put his kingdom first. That has to be the engine that drives our hearts, not the caboose that comes at the end after all our other desires have been satisfied. We're easily worried and discouraged when more of our hopes and cares have wandered to the wrong things, things that are temporal. In verse 8, Paul exhorts us, fix our gaze elsewhere, 
Whatever's true, honorable, pure, lovely, just, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about those things. Inoculate your hearts. Are you nourishing your soul with this good food? Commune with God in prayer. Look to his many works. Meditate on his promises. Scour your life for blessing. Then you'll be equipped to rejoice. We must also bring our request to God. When we're anxious and when we, when we want to jump in and control things, we face a choice. We have to choose that God will be our deliverer, not ourselves. Now, you may be thinking, when, when problem comes, don't I still need to take action? If my kid's bleeding, for example, I'm going to take them to a doctor, not just stand there and pray. Yes, trusting God is not a call to be passive. But it's a question of where your ultimate hope is grounded. Is God the very center and source of your life so that if you had nothing else but God, that you'd have everything that you need? Or is God perhaps more like your insurance policy that sits in a little box somewhere as you manage your life by your own means, unless something terrible comes along and maybe you need some supplemental support? That's modern idolatry. We rightly respond to anxiety when we follow the pattern of the gospel. First, confess that we have a problem. Humbly acknowledge that we cannot solve it ourselves. We trust that only God has the power to rescue us and that he promises to do so for all who place their faith in Christ. We submit our fears, our worries, failures, and sin to God, confident that he will save his children. And we do so filled with hearts of hope and thanksgiving and rejoicing. And we do that again and again, day after day, making it the pattern of our lives. Paul tells us the fruit of this discipline. It's peace. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result is that God may not always answer yes or grant us an easy life, but he offers us something better. If we choose to place our confidence in God and seek him in prayer, we can face any and all of life's circumstances like Paul, filled with a living hope. The good news of the gospel to the worried, the anxious, the struggling, to you and me, is that we have already been set free from the world, the flesh, and the devil, redeemed to live lives marked by peace, by joy, and by fearlessness, in fruitful service to Christ Jesus. Praise God. Now, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you know all our anxious thoughts. You know our paths. All the days have been written in your book. You promise that you are working all things together for our good. May your Holy Spirit strengthen our faith in your good and perfect provision. Teach us to humbly submit to your control and cast all our cares on you. May we only find our rest in the power and victory of Christ Jesus. Amen.